Father, we just thank you very much uh, for, for your presence here, for your, for your God, your, your kindness. Oh, you're so kind. God, we honor you. And Lord, I pray that um, over the course of the, this, these next few moments, God, that your presence would just come and rest on every person here. May they experience your abundant love and your abundant peace. And I pray that every person would just feel you, encounter your presence right now. That peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, we just command every foul or unclean spirit to be silent. We bind any distractions or disruption. And Lord, I pray that, God, that what you have given me to share, I pray, Lord, you give me the words to speak it clearly. And even more than that, I pray that you would fill in the gaps God, where I don't have time to go into everything, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you're saying to us, a personal word to every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm excited to share, um, you know, a message with you today. I, uh, probably about a few weeks ago, about a month ago, we were doing that Tuesday night soaking thing, and the, the, the words that I believe the Lord dropped in my spirit was weakness, turned to strength. And, uh, and so I think a lot of us have probably heard of that idea, if you've been in the church world very long, that God has absolutely no problem using weak people. God has absolutely no problem winning in weak situations. And it's kind of amazing that the more we think about our own limitations, our lack of resource, our inadequacies, our failures, our weaknesses, God's just not all that overwhelmed by it. In fact, God loves to help us in our brokenness. When we are broken, we, you just know that you, you may not feel it, but in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our failures, we are a magnet for God. God draws near when we, in a place of brokenness, draw near to him. And it's because God just loves each and every one of us so much. And so, uh, I want to share a scripture verse with you to kind of get this kicked off. It's a passage that maybe you've read, but it's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll pick it up in verse 7. And Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I can't tell you how many times that passage of Scripture 
has so helped me because I am more than aware of my own weakness. And Paul not only is aware of his weakness, but in this situation, he's talking about a circumstance, something that is outside of his control that is making him weak. And I don't know about you guys, but I hate it. I hate it when I cannot control the circumstances. I hate it when what is happening to me or happening around me is making me weak and I feel that powerless feeling. And Paul can so relate with this. And God in that state says, my grace is enough. It's like, God, can't you just change everything? Can't you make me strong? Can't you? And God's like, I want you weak. I want you to need me because when you need me, it gives me an opportunity to be God in your life. See, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like being so comfortable. You know, we want, we want the miracles. We want the signs and wonders. We want God to step in and be supernatural in our life. We just don't want to ever be in a situation where we would need a miracle or anything, God to do anything. But when we lack, when we're weak, when we're in need, it creates this opening for God. It creates a space where God gets to be God in our life and he gets to show up and reveal his glory and his goodness and his power. So he says, my grace is enough. My strength is made perfect or is brought to completion. It works best when you are weak. And then he says, then Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he says, I will boast. Because when I boast about how weak I am, God's presence, that word rest is to t- tabernacle. So you, you know, we're a bunch of campers in here. God comes and he, he sets his camp upon you. God's presence rests upon you when we are broken and when we are weak. But today... I want to kind of look at this idea of weakness turned to strength from a little bit different angle. And that is, is I think we all know how weak we are. And I think we all feel weak in our circumstances. But we're going to one-up it today. And that is, is when we make ourselves weak. You guys are like, Daniel, this is a dumb idea. (laughs) I don't know why I came to church today. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at this from the New Living Translation so it might look a little different than your Bible. But I liked how they worded it. Hebrews chapter 11 is a very famous passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer goes through and he, he's really hitting on the value and the importance of faith, and how it's impossible to please God without faith. And so he goes and he begins to paint a picture, and you begin to get this idea that faith is what God really wants, faith is what God is really looking for, and you see story after story, and we would say hero of the faith after hero of the faith. And as we, as we look at these heroes, we see people who took a risk, people who ventured out, and people who overcame. And so, 
In Hebrews 11, verse 32, the writer says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Right here. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. These are people who God gave them a command. God gave them clarity. God gave them direction. And here's the thing. Almost all of the time when God speaks to you and gives you direction, it usually is counterintuitive or countercultural of what we think. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but how many times has God given you clarity and direction and it made sense? Sometimes it does. But how many times have, has God spoken and the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, that can't be God. No, that, that doesn't even make sense. I don't want that. Or That's dumb. The ways of God are so opposite to the way that we, we think. The decisions that we would make, the way that God rolls, when all of humanity is going this way, God's saying, go this way. And you're just like, are you sure, God? Because I'm scared. Because this actually, I have a little bit of control on. I don't have control about how weak I am. I don't have control about how weak my circumstances are most of the time. But I, I feel like when you're giving me a command, I have a little bit of sense of control here. And if I obey you, it's going to make me weak. And this could go bad for me, God. And I think it just goes to show us when we say things like God's grace is enough, we need that truth to soak and to get into every fiber of our being and into our thinking. Because we can understand a thought. We can understand a truth and then live counter opposite to that truth day in and day out and not even know it. And the grace of God can and does accomplish more than we ever could in our greatest strengths, in our greatest efforts. We are Americans and we like control. And we believe that we can make things happen when things are not happening. If doors are not opening, we just keep going until we get that door open. We have the sense, if you work hard enough, if you, if you go to school, if you study long enough, if you, if you apply yourself, 
You can make something of yourself. And what happens is, is we, that, that kind of works. Most of the time, the people that do the most studying do better in school. Most of the time, the people that work the hardest on the job get the promotion. Most of the time, things come together for those who work, who those who try, who those who labor. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has been speaking in this season, and I believe you're going to hear more messages, and I, I know I have another one that I'm going to be sharing with you, so I, that's why I'm telling you this. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to shift the way we think. And I believe he, he wants us to think more like him. He wants us to think differently than we have been thinking. He wants our mindset to be so more like his that when a problem comes, we're like, what's the problem? God, this is my resource. Yeah, that's plenty. There's a big problem in a little resource. Well, I'm pretty sure God's grace is going to be sufficient in this. God's calling me to a risky place. God's calling me to do something outside of my comfort zone. God's calling me to be bold and courageous. And, and I, I believe that God wants to bring us to that place where we're not even faced. And I'm not saying I'm there. I believe that's where God wants us to, to go with him. Where we are walking by faith, not by sight, and we can sleep at night. We're not just obeying, we're obeying and we're in peace. We're not just in the storm and not panicking, we're in the boat and we're asleep. God wants to operate on a level of grace, and he says, you don't understand my resource, you don't understand my power, you don't understand my goodness, and so you go and you work and you work and you think that you can pull this off, but I can accomplish more in 23 hours than you can accomplish in 24. I can accomplish more in a day than you can accomplish in a lifetime. But see, but, but when we get it down to practicals, we don't think this way because we're so conditioned to our own limitations. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking and then he's giving us experience. And then he's speaking and he's giving us experience. And God has biblical practices that he wants us to practice. And as we practice what he gives us, and we're going to talk about it today, when we do what he tells us to practice, it doesn't just work. It literally begins to shift the way our brain thinks. To think like heaven. So, we want to not merely agree with the idea we want to do this the easy way because grace will make you look better than you ever can make yourself look. It will make you smarter than you. People at work will think you're a genius because you keep coming up with ideas that you got from the Holy Spirit. There's problems in your work environment and the Holy Spirit's going to coach you and say, you know what, you don't, you don't need to worry about this. I'll give you a better strategy. And you're going to come to your you know, your manager, whatever, the, the per person above you, and be like, I have this idea, 
and it's going to work, not because you're a genius, but because there's grace on it. This is what God's kingdom is like, and God's kingdom is way more fun and scary <laughs> than living in comfort. And so, between getting to the place, you can't get to, this is what God's doing in me right now, you can't get to the place of peace in the storm until you go through the storm over and over and you learn how to navigate your own apprehension and your own weakness and your own frustrations. When we, God trains us, I like how uh, Robert Madu says it, he says, God's the only one that can take us to school. And we didn't even know we were in school. You come out of, this, out of the test and you're like, I had no idea I was being tested. I had no idea I was learning stuff. And, but, but, but then when he brings you through it, you are different. And so I want to look at a passage out of the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, chapter 5. It's early in your Bible, one of the earlier books, the book of Joshua. Now the people of Israel had disobeyed God and spent 40 years out in the wilderness. As they're out in the wilderness, they're waiting for all the old people to die who screwed up so they can enter into the inheritance, into the promised land. When jo you want to take that down, Rich? I, don't, I think they're getting distracted. Don't pay attention to that right now. <laughs> it's all right. Joshua is now the new leader because Moses has died. Joshua has taken command, and now what they have been waiting for for 40 years, they're now entering into the promise. To enter into their promise, they have to fight. They have to war. They have to get the victory. The first thing that happens to enter the border is the Jordan River. It's springtime, so the Jordan River is overflowing its banks. And so the people come up there, God stops the water at flood stage, and the people cross the Jordan River on dry ground. They are now behind enemy lines. Now you can imagine what it must have been like, and these, you know, these were some powerful nations that they were about to face. And so the people of God cross, and they're now behind enemy lines. And now they need to get clarity and direction from God about how to take the land. What's the next step, God? What do you want us to do? So we're going to look at what God's next step looks like for Israel's army. Verse 1, chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill 
of the foreskins. This is where the first service started getting quiet. So don't, don't, don't you die on me, okay? Stay with me. Could you imagine military strategy? We're going to go behind enemy lines. All right. Now we're going to have a meeting. Joshua has all the tribal leaders come. The commanders of the mighty army of God. And they come into Joshua's tent. And Joshua's got flint and he's just sharpening it. And they come in. We're waiting for one more guy. We'll get there in a minute. And they're all just sitting there making small talk. And after a little bit, they all get there. and All right, Joshua. What's the word of the Lord? And why are you doing that? <laughs> why are you sharpening that? Joshua's like, well, you really want this to be sharp. You don't want a dull blade. A dull what? Well, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts me. <laughs> Joshua's already circumcised. But he's one of the only ones. Because the whole generation had not been circumcised. Forty years, no circumcision. And God's magic recipe is the first thing you need to do is you need to circumcise your army. Because everybody knows that's what you do when you go to war. <laughs> I can only imagine the looks on their faces like, whoo. Now, we know because we're, we're reading it after the fact, but the other nations are very afraid of Israel. Their hearts are melting, so they don't even want to attack them. But Joshua doesn't know this. Joshua does not realize that all the other armies are in terror right now. So here they are, circumcising their army, making themselves extremely vulnerable. It takes them, you know, quite a few days here to heal up, and all these guys are completely limited, and they, in a sense, did it to themselves because God told them. God wanted them to be weak, to be exposed, and to be vulnerable. And you see this all throughout Scripture where God has a thing where he says, I want you to obey me, and the obedience will put you in a weaker position. It takes great trust to purposely make yourself vulnerable. Because then you need God to take care of you. And so we see here, Joshua circumcising his army. And I am so thankful that that is not the current practice for our churches today. We have a membership class. Will we, will we cry our knives? You know, that'd be horrible. That'd be horrible. But circumcision was a very spiritual thing that symbolized several different things. But one of the things that it symbolized was the cutting away of the flesh. The works of the flesh. The works of our own strength. Of our own way. 
and of our own power. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks quite a bit because it's actually a big issue. And he talks very clearly. We don't put confidence in ourselves and our ability to be good enough. We don't put confidence in our works and our own works of righteousness. We put our confidence in what God has done for us, not in what we can do. And so you see this happening all throughout the New Testament, this shift where we're trying to get out of doing it in our own power. Because our own power just is not good enough. And so today I want to look at two biblical practices that purposefully make us weak and vulnerable that God wants us to do because as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God will lift us up. God's grace is attracted to humility. And humility is, God, I need you. That's really what humility is. God, I need you. And so now I want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at a little part of uh, the Beatitudes, which is a famous sermon that Jesus did. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is preaching his sermon. And we're going to pick it up in verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So, Jesus is talking about prayer, and in verse 6, he says, when you pray, I want you to say, when you pray, not if you pray, when. Christians pray. That's who we are. So when we do it, he's giving instructions. Go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. I want to kind of hit on this idea because a lot of times Christians pray on the go. A lot of times Christians pray as they drive to work. A lot of times, Christians pray at church. A lot of times, Christians pray as they're doing life. And I'm all for that. I've heard a lot of people say, however, I don't really have a time of prayer. I just pray all day long. And I'm all for that. But biblically, Jesus said, when you pray, you go into your room. And he's not saying that you can't pray on a mountain. But what I want you to see that Jesus is saying, that it's key that you take time alone with God and you connect with him. 
You're not doing anything else. You are not, you know, keeping tabs on the game. You are not praying on the job. You need to take time, quality time, where you and Jesus are the only ones connecting. And on top of that, he says to close the door. And I'm sure that in their day and age, that looked a certain way. But in our day and age, I think that looks like not having our phone too close to us. That can look like shutting out the distractions, the social media, the things that beep at you and they ding at you and they say, give me your attention. I have recently been better about not watching the news and I notice my iPad gets lonely and it starts beeping more at me and says, hey, check out the news. We've noticed you haven't been addicted. Please come. Please come. So you got you to you shut some things out. And we've got to spend time with God. And when I was in college, out of my great need and my great weakness, I, I really developed a value and a habit for prayer and reading the scriptures. So every morning I developed a habit of reading the Bible and praying. It was just what I did. It became my discipline and it, it became like necessary. It became what I needed. And I carried that through through college. And so when I was hired on here at Abundant Life and I, as the youth pastor, in the early, I don't know, probably first year, maybe two years, something like that, I would come to the office and sometimes I would pray, but I didn't have a, a set schedule or a set time to connect with God. And so I'd come into the office and I'd work on this and I'd work on that and I'd contact this thing and I'd plan this thing. And, I, and you, you would, you'd be surprised how busy I was because you're like, how could you don't do anything? How could you be so busy? Well, it's a miracle. We just, we're, there's always something to do. There's always somebody to help. There's, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. There's always more people to help. And so I became so busy that it got to the point where most days I would connect with God at home, but I wouldn't spend time with God in the office. And so I would spend my time with people. I'd spend my time planning. I'd spend my time counseling. I'd spend my time doing all kinds of things. And I, I remember this, this nagging feeling in the back of my head, like, you need to set aside time with me. You said it's fine, time to pray and spend time with me. And I ignored that voice and I ignored that feeling and I ignored that, that, just that gnawing, wearing on me. And I would say things like, God, I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy. Not today, God. No, I'd seek God every time I needed a sermon. And I get into the prayer closet and I wouldn't seek God for God, I'd seek God for a sermon. And, I, and this was my, my lifestyle. And so I found myself being like, God, if I get done with my work, I'll pray today. And almost always, I would barely finish my work by the end of the day, by the end of the working day. And so another day, another day, until months went by. And here's the thing. I was kind of successful. God helped me. 
He blessed me, and he blessed the work of my hands, even though I really wasn't doing what he was telling me to do. And Joe Warren, if you know who he is, he's the pastor at Restoration Church here in town. He uh, spearheaded bringing in Seventh-day Slumber to do a concert. And so we, quite a few of us youth pastors, jumped on the bandwagon and wanted to support that. And so we had this big gathering with teenagers. We had probably about 125, 150 come to this concert. And so we have all these teenagers and all these youth pastors. And I was trying to, I'll just be honest, I was trying to show these youth pastors and other pastors in town that, you know, that I was legit because I was kind of new, that I was somebody that they would want to be connected with and not a lunatic or a crazy or a bad guy or anything like that. Just so you know, pastors can be weird. Just, I'm just saying. Like, it can take a while to get pastors to like you if you're another pastor. I'm just saying. We have some good pastors in this town, but I'm just saying that you kind of got to work it to kind of build some bridges because a lot of times they're suspicious. I'm just saying. You guys were like, we had no idea. <laughs> so things are better, way better. So we're at this event and I really do care about what these other pastors think about me. And at the concert, the lead singer goes and gives one of those altar calls, but he kind of, it's like a 20-minute altar call, and almost everything in the world gets brought up that you could possibly think of. And one of the things he brought up was, maybe you're here, and maybe God's speaking to you, and he's been telling you that you need to spend more time with him, and you haven't been listening, you haven't been spending time with God. And I'm sitting there like guilty, nailed, oh, and I knew in that moment, it, it was, I was brought under deep conviction. And then he keeps going on and on, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean, he, he keeps going. And then at the end, he kind of really focuses on more salvation. And if you want to get saved, if you want to give your life to Jesus, and he's talking to a lot of young people. And then he says, if there's anything that I've said tonight that applies to you, I want you to come on down. And so all these teenagers go down to the front to give their lives to Jesus or to recommit their lives to Jesus. And there I was, under deep conviction because I hadn't been obeying God. And the Holy Spirit's like, you need to go down there. And I'm like, God, I don't need to get saved. I, I'm saved. And God's like, yeah, but he said that you, if you haven't spent time with me, and he said, if anything I said, and he goes, you need to go down there. I was like, and so I'm like in front of all my peers the looks the looks that some of those pastors gave me as I walked down the aisle was the most humbling thing it was horrible and I'm just sitting there just like oh lord what are they thinking about me right now and I get down there and I have this this probably 19 year old kid praying with me and I it was that was even humbling but I don't have time to go into that but I, I, just, I just remember, I, I, in all honesty, I think that was God, not only was God getting a hold of me, but I think God was like, yeah, you didn't listen to me, so I humbled you. And I, I went back to the office with a plan that I was going to spend time with God, because I didn't want to do that again. And I was, I was repentant, I was turning, I was getting my light, and I, and I said, I'm going to lock away. And so... I did it early when I got to the office because I know from experience that if you, don't do, if, you, if you don't make a plan to do it first, 
you never get around to it because there's always something else happening. And so, and so I began just not every day because there's always different things going on, but most days I get to the office, I situate myself, I lock away. And the people in the office, they know my routine. I'm, I'm, I'm so predictable. My wife knows everything about me and knows what I'll do without me even. I'm just, I'm just a routine kind of person. But I, I went and I spent time with God and it has changed everything. When I was invited to come before God, why didn't I come? Well, I believe, number one, it's because we think we can do more than God. You don't say it, but you, you do think it somewhere. Have you ever prayed about something? God didn't work fast enough, and then you tried to help him out? You prayed for somebody to get their act together? God wasn't working fast enough, and you tried to help him? No, you didn't do that. Maybe it was just me. It's kind of quiet in here. Just saying. I think, I, I know, God has shown me, I literally, for some dumb reason, thought I could do more than God, because he wasn't working fast enough. Sounds really dumb when you say it out loud, but, out loud, but that's what I really believed. But it's not just a matter of that. I felt guilty. I felt guilty. Like, people right now all over the city are working hard, doing jobs that I would not want to do. And I, you're telling me, God, to come and pray? That just seems so not right. You guys are like, yeah, it does. No, but it, like, it feels wrong. Like, I'm, like I'm, I should be doing stuff I don't like to do. And here's the other thing. I think a lot of times we don't like prayer because we only do one type of prayer, and that is petition. Do you know that when, when the Bible talks about prayer, it's not merely talking about petitions. Some of us don't know how to pray because we ran out of things to ask God for. But it's way more fun hanging out with God than asking him for stuff. It is okay to ask God for stuff. He's all about you petitioning. But the real thing is abiding and connecting with God. And if you spend time in his presence being still and knowing that he's God, spending time loving on him, letting him love on you, how does me worshiping and loving God change the world? I don't know, but it works. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not being flippant. It's amazing to me how God says, I just want to enjoy you. I want to hang out with you. I want to have a friendship with you. Yeah, read my word. Let's have a good time together. Let me talk to you. Let's, like, God, what do you want to say? And God's like, I don't really want to say anything right now. I just want to be with you. So just sit here and let me be with you. Like, God, I am getting paid for this. And God's like, I know, I know. Because, <laughs> see, the thing is, Tim doesn't tell me what to do. He just, he just lets me make it up. It's true. When I first was hired on, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I'm used to jobs where my boss tells me what to do. I just have to connect with God. And it's not always, I don't get to always do those kinds of things. But I, I want you to see here that prayer 
doesn't have to just be a discipline. It can be a delight. And it doesn't have to just be a to-do list. You can worship God and God give you the victory. I mean, look at Joshua right after this. They go to Jericho. What do they do? They go around the mountain. Not the mountain. The, the Jericho, the walls. They go around the walls seven days and they're blowing their shofars or blowing their trumpets. And that's going to bring victory. Yeah, right. But it's how God rolls. God's like, don't worry about that situation. I'll take care of that. You just worship me. That's how you're going to solve this, God? Really? And God's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good that way. It's, it's completely, he does not think like me. And so I want to encourage you. Make yourself weak. The, I know they say you need a lot of sleep, and I'm all for a lot of sleep. But do you need God more than you need sleep? Maybe you should set your alarm. Or maybe you need to chop off some things in your life. But God, I have to be in the know. God's like, no, you need me more than you need to be caught up on what's happening in the world. God, I need to be trendy and cool so I can be relevant. And God's like, actually, you're never going to be relevant. You're just not that cool. Just hang out with me because I like you anyways. We got to, there's a chopping there's a cutting away of the flesh. And I'm not saying I always love prayer because sometimes it's just a battle. Sometimes the devil doesn't want me to pray. But hanging out with God is fun. And if it's not fun for you, you need to do it differently. You're doing it wrong. And I'm not saying that every time, if you ever have a bad moment, don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying pray differently because God is fun. And in that place of taking time out of your day, God can take care of it. God can accomplish what you need in that hour you lost or whatever you spent. But also, I want to look at another practice that will shift the way we think. Excuse me, I need a cough here. In Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses down, verse 16, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with the sad, sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, I want you to see here, where was it? Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. I'm sorry. That word is in there. Christians fast. If you're a Christian, you fast. It's not something you get to feel led to. You just do it. I'm not saying that God won't lead you, but what I am saying is, this is normal Christian living. This is when you fast, and he talks about, you know, not doing it for show, but he, he talks about how what you do in secret, God will reward you. When you fast, you will be rewarded. 
And just to clarify what I mean by fasting, a lot of people talk about fasting from sweets, doing a Daniel fast, which is when you do more fruit and veggies, but you don't eat other stuff. There's people who fast from negativity. They'll do a fast from the media or social media. Once, well, I shouldn't say, but I, I won't say it when I did, but I'll move on, move on. But I want to get my reward. I don't want you guys taking it from me. <laughs> what was I saying? Something really wonderful. Fasting. Oh, yeah, but there's a lot of different ways to fast. But, and I, I'm all for all of them. If you want to do them, more power to you. But I, I want to be very clear. Almost all the time, in Scripture, when it talks about fasting, it's talking about no food, only water. That's what we're talking about. And just a heads up, you want to drink lots of water. Lots of water. And so, when you fast, you are cutting off the flesh. You, there is a part of you that is being cut away and it is dying. The flesh longs to rule. The flesh wants ice cream. The flesh wants steak. And when you deny the flesh, it starts screaming. It has an opinion, and it wants to rule you. When I fast, I do not feel very spiritual. I do not feel very godly. And all the wrong stuff starts coming out of me. So if you go and you fast and you feel nothing, you're right where you should be. I'm serious. Sometimes I think people expect an angel to show up. I'm like, if that happens to you, more power to you. But when I fast, I am cold. I need water, but I loathe it. <laughs> and I have really bad breath. And I want to keep my distance from everybody. I've been social distancing before there was social distancing. No. <laughs> it's like, stand back. You cannot handle this. And in that place, my insecurities pop up. All my problems seem magnified. I feel so weak, so helpless, so broken. I want to run away from certain issues. I want to run away from certain things. I don't really crave the Bible. I hope you do. But I don't really crave the Bible in that moment. I don't really crave God. Because... My body is shouting, feed me. And I drive down Harrison Avenue and I say to myself, why don't we ever eat there? <laughs> and why don't we ever, we keep going to the same places. We, we got to expand. And I come home from work and I say to my kids, can I smell your food? Can I just smell it? And I'll just go over and thank you. You're like, and I tell them, live it up, just live it up. Someday you'll fast. For now, you get to live it up. So don't just feel wonderful about your life. And in that place, my flesh, my desires, my... And it's not just food, though. 
I'm, I mean, this, I don't, this might just be me, but I start thinking about vacation and travel and desires and hobbies. And the things that I, I long for start coming out of me and they start coming up and they come up and, and, I, and I start thinking to myself, I don't even feel like God. I don't even desire God. And see, here's the thing. When did the devil come and tempt Jesus? When he's fasting. Jesus was at the tail end, pretty much at the end of a 40-day fast. The devil comes and tempts him. So if you're fasting, guess who you're inviting? You guys are like, I don't like this. Why are we preaching this way? (laughs) It's a dumb message. No. Fasting equals warfare. It is not this pie-in-the-sky, warm-fuzzy Jesus moment. It is hell coming at you because you're becoming weak. And you're denying the flesh. And I say, and I get to this point, like, God, I crave you more than a burger. And my flesh says, do you really crave him more than a burger? Because I don't really believe you right now. And I'm like, I'm making a choice. God, I long for you more than food. I long for you more than pleasure. I long for you more than entertainment. And I'm taking my will and my soul and I'm going and I'm cutting off this flesh and I'm setting my gaze and I'm saying, I'm going to read the Bible. But don't you feel like a hypocrite because you don't feel like reading the Bible? No, I'm not a hypocrite because I'm reading it. I'm going to do what I believe, not how I feel. And I'm not going to be led by my emotions. And so as I'm, as I'm warring and the lies and the insecurities and I'm powering through and then I just get to the end of the day and it's over. I'm like, thank you, God. It's over. And the next morning, and, and, and it's not always the same. I don't want to make it out like it's, you might be like, Daniel, that didn't happen to me. But oftentimes I'll have a dream that night or I'll sense the presence of God in a very, strong way the next morning. Or I'll sense the presence of God, but he'll come differently than usual. I don't know how to put that into words, but it, God's presence, we're kind of, you might be used to God's presence, but there, when you cut away the flesh, I, I believe our spirit becomes more intuitive. I believe that after a fast, my spirit is more on track. And your spirit is what communes with God. And so it's almost like a lot of the junk's been removed, and I can sense the presence of God more than usual, and it's different. It's different than other ways. And so sometimes God's reward shows up the next day. Sometimes it shows up a week later. Sometimes I don't even know how it shows up, but I know it does. But I want you to see this imagery here of we make ourselves weak by prayer and fasting because we're losing energy, we're losing time, we're losing power, and his strength comes and clothes us and fills in the gaps. Katie should probably help me land this plane here. Do we really believe that God can do more with less? I just want to challenge you guys to carve out time in your schedule that every day at this time 
this is where I'm going to connect with God. You can figure out the time and how that works for you. But I want to encourage you. You need God. And when you know you need God, you make time to become weak, that His grace would be sufficient. And I also want to encourage you to fast and pray together, hand in hand. Take time to fast. Make time to fast. Because Christians fast. The early church would fast every Wednesday and Friday. It's hardcore. That's not the church leadership. That's Christians. Early church would do that. Is it any wonder why they were so clothed with the power of God? You guys want to stand up? Let's pray. Father, I do pray, like was spoken already today, God, that you would send your fire. Light the fire in our hearts for you. Awaken the hunger. Awaken the passion. Right now, Holy Spirit, come and burn. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that even right now that you would speak to every person. Give them a plan. Give them a schedule. A routine. Maybe it's a day you want them to fast every week. Maybe it's a meal you want them to fast. Maybe it's cutting certain things out of their schedule and putting prayer time smack dab at that schedule of time. God, I ask that you bring clarity right now, a game plan. Lord, wake up. Awaken the longing, the longing, our passion for you. God's presence is right there. He wants you to just to abide in him right now. If you don't sense it, it's okay. But he's still there. I can sense his presence. I see him resting upon shoulders. The Lord is not only in you, he is upon you. And he delights in you. I believe that for many of you, your prayer life will be transformed when you realize how much God likes you and enjoys you. I think that for many of us, we just need to learn how to take time to let God love us. Lord, I thank you that you're very fun. I pray, Lord, you'd help us 
to see the sight of you that is so enjoyable. Bring us to that closer place. In Jesus' name. Just love on God for a moment. I know we need to land this, but God's presence is here. Just, just, just love on God for a minute. Lunch can wait for just another moment. Just thank him. Love him. There's a peace here. Oh, Lord, teach us how to live in that peace, the peace of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.